Uju everyone, Leah Lam here. Thank you so much for your feedback on our Native Lights and our Badapi podcasts. Cole and I definitely appreciate it. And we'll have more episodes coming your way. But in the meantime, we want to share our community conversations, exploring how Indian country in Minnesota is responding to the COVID-19 pandemic. We hope you find these conversations helpful, and we think you'll appreciate hearing from these wonderful people, sharing their voices, their wisdom and insights during these challenging times. Miigwech, and thank you for listening. This is a special edition of Minnesota Native News, COVID-19 Community Conversations with host Leah Lem. COVID-19 Community Conversations is supported by a grant from the Minnesota Department of Health. Anin, hello, I'm Leah Lem. Miigwech and thank you for joining me for an in-depth conversation, exploring how Indian country in Minnesota is responding and adapting to the current pandemic health crisis. Today on this show, how is traditional health adapting and helping community members through distress, especially given our current realities of increased isolation and worry? So we hear from two wonderful people who are caring for community health. Cheryl Whitehawk is Lakuta Ray Ojibwe and an addiction counselor at the American Indian Family Center in St. Paul. And today we also listen to an interview from reporter Melissa Townsend with Dennis Jones, who has a gift for healing. All that coming up, but first... Across tribal nations and for many citizens, staying safe while practicing traditions is a continued priority. Boys Fort band member Chaz Wagner was at the drum and also streamed over social media the distanced version of the Sagibaga Powwow. We're broadcasting live here at the Sagibaga Powwow in Net Lake. Um, well, the Powwow is officially postponed or canceled for this year, so a uh, few of the uh, singers here, we want to keep the traditions going. And this is one of many ways in which traditions are flourishing during a pandemic, while taking precautionary measures to help friends and relatives stay as healthy as possible. Traditionally, this powwow is supposed to go on on the first weekend in June. And it's really important that we keep our traditions alive here in Net Lake and under all and any circumstances we appreciate you social distancing. Next, I want to highlight a message posted by Malax Band of Ojibwe member Bobby Eagle. As Anishinaabeg, we live in harmony with all creation. We also live in balance by attending to our four aspects of life, which are our mental health, our spiritual health, our emotional health, and our physical health. Bobby Eagle is a cultural advisor for the Malax Band of Ojibwe Health and Human Services Department at Four Winds Treatment Center. The video is posted to the Malax Band of Ojibwe YouTube stream. In his message, Bobby takes us through four acts of kindness, prayer, supporting one another, being of service, and attending to our own well-being. And Bobby shares this. I want to leave you a message of safety and concern for everyone. As this pandemic creeps into our community, it is important that we are all doing our part to keep each other safe. That means if we have to go to the store or to the gas station 
please practice social distancing, wear a mask, and wash your hands often. This virus has a spirit. If we respect that spirit, that spirit will respect us. Miu minik, miigwech bizindawieg. Aho. And that's part of what we'll explore today, how respecting ourselves and each other will help us on our journey through this pandemic. You're listening to a special edition of Minnesota Native News COVID-19 Community Conversations, supported by a grant from the Minnesota Department of Health. I'm Leah Lem. And joining me now is Cheryl Whitehawk. Cheryl is a Couturier, Ojibwe, and an addictions counselor at the American Indian Family Center in St. Paul. Bonjour. Welcome, Cheryl. Bonjour, Leah. I'm happy to be here. Thank you so much for joining me. Can you please take a moment to introduce yourself? Um, as you said, I'm an addictions counselor, but I feel some of the more important roles in my life have been, I'm, um, I have 10 children, I have 36 grandchildren, and I did special needs foster care for over 20 years. So I love children. I, I feel like being a, a grandma in this year, in October, I'll be a great grandma for the first time. Oh. So it really dictates a lot of why I do the things that I do. I've been in recovery for the last 40 years, and I feel like I want to make a better place for the ones that are coming behind us. Wonderful. How are you doing, Cheryl? Well, I will say that from the time that I first found recovery for my alcohol and drug addiction and started working on healing um, my unresolved traumas and griefs that I feel like that's a never ending journey. And I have a responsibility to that, especially if I'm going to turn around to help others. So the COVID-19 pandemic, George Floyd being killed by the police officer and the, and the protests and the riots, these are things that have not been easy Mm -hmm. and it's taken I have to use every tool in my toolbox to make sure that I'm feeling and processing in ways that are um, not going to become baggage for me. Mm-hmm. And so I go to um, two meetings a week. I, um, Although I haven't been able to go to ceremony and sweat like I normally do, I found other ways to do that, to, to get some of those needs met. Sure. And I have a, I have a big, um, so we're support system. I have a sponsor um, that who lives in Michigan. <laughs> so we were already doing remote support for each other. So I feel like I'm in a good place today. I just I'm coming off of a couple days that we were allowed to take it from my workplace to go out and do what self care looks like for us. And I went to a remote place in the state park. And I spent an entire day in the river just crying and getting poisons out that it felt like I had and having some real spiritual experiences where I felt like I got filled up and inspired to come back and believe in the prophecies of many of our tribes saying this is a really important time right now and that love is the answer. That's the messages I got when I was out that day in the river. Yeah, I identify with a lot of what you're saying. um, And I think a lot of people will. So thank you for sharing that. 
So you work at the American Indian Family Center. Yes. Can you tell me a little bit about that and the work you do there and how it's changing now with the pandemic? The program that I'm working with is brand new. It's um, The name of it is Kunshi Onakan. It takes uh, one Dakota word and one Ojibwe word um, so that both communities feel included, I think, was the, the idea behind that. And so the two words translated into English mean um, grandmother's arms. It's a outpatient treatment program for Native American women, and it's culturally based. We use the Wellbridey curriculum. And at the same time that we were getting our license, the pandemic happened and everything was shut down. So we had to um, adapt and figure out a way that we could provide outpatient treatment to women through um, the technology of basically Zoom to do um, group therapy and individual sessions and diagnostic sessions and all of the things that go with addiction treatment. And I have to say that nothing's the same as actually being together in a space and sharing medicine and singing together and praying together. But I'm surprised at how we're able to still get a lot of needs met this way. And in some ways, I think it's made it easier for some people because you don't have to worry about, you know, hurry up, get up in the morning, get your kids ready, you know, take them to childcare, um, get to treatment, whatever it might be. We don't have to worry about transportation. We provide the women with um, a phone or um, a tablet so that, and the, and the internet service so that they can be a part when they first come, if they're shy, they don't have to turn on their video. You know, um, we're learning how to sing traditional songs together and they can be on mute and nobody has to hear them. And so I, I, I encouraged them all the time. I said, you can belt it out, ladies. This is where this is the best way to learn how to sing, you know, traditional and ceremonial songs. And the women that we're working with so far are responding really well. And they're even saying, despite the fact that we're not in the same room together, that it's feeling like a family. Mm-hmm. So the people that are responding well, why do you think that is? Is it the lower barriers to getting to the meetings. What do you think that is? I mean, there's so much happening. I know. I know. Um, part of it is I think the the women that we're working with right now are ready. They, they were wanting help and they're very motivated. So, I mean, there's a piece of it that's catching people at the right time. And because The time right now is so full of stressors and so full of uh, triggers for people. They're feeling isolated. They're feeling like they they don't have access to a lot of uh, supports. And yet here's something that we can bring right into the safety of their own little, you know, safe zone. They don't have to leave home. They don't have to be afraid to go out on the street. It's kind of scary to get up and go to a, say, a NAAA, Wellbridey, Al-Anon meeting, and you've never been there before. But if um, they can come on a Zoom meeting, like I said, they don't have to have their video on. It's very um, anonymous. People um, sometimes in the community will feel like, well, I don't want my business, you know, getting talked about or spread around. 
And it's this is a way that they can be very anonymous where showing up in person, that's a little bit harder to do. So I think there's, you know, it's a little bit of a lot of things. And I kind of tell them, I said, ladies, if I can do it, you can do it. So That's great to hear. In providing support, what does that main supportive role that you play? Most of the women that I'm working with are hungry for their culture. So those pieces that we do, we, you know, we have a long opening circle where we're learning how to use medicines and pray in our languages and sing songs in our languages, do talking circle. They're hungry for that. I, I hear that from them, that they say things like, I wanted to know my culture, but, you know, the family that I grew up in, we, all we had was the dysfunction. And so this is a safe place for them to start to learn that so that they can pass it on to their children. And I know that that's a foot in the door for um, opening up about other things. And they're also hearing from the other women in the group that pretty much everybody had a lot of the very same major life experiences. And so they don't feel like they're going to be judged and they don't feel like they don't belong. That's really wonderful. How do you find this translating then, the, the, the medicines and the talking circles, uh, to virtual meetings? The time that our religion or our, our culture, our ceremonies was outlawed, there were people who felt we can't not do this. Our people need our ceremonies. This is where we learn how to deal with life in healthy ways. And thank goodness they felt that way. And so they had to think outside the box because, you know, going out to a medicine lodge and having a fire and a drum and doing ceremony like was typical, they would have got caught and they would have been sent to a prison or a Native American insane asylum or cut off from their food supply or whatever. And so people instead... In, at least in the region where, where I'm from, started doing darkroom ceremonies where they would go into basements or attics and, and cover the windows so that if the reservation agents wouldn't see that there was a light on and that maybe something was going on. And I can't imagine that there weren't some people at the time saying, we can't do that. Our, our ceremonies are meant to be outside. But people said, we have to adapt. I say all this because there's some people who are saying now, you can't have pictures of our ceremonies. You can't do this on technology. But what I say to that is, we have to adapt to the times because our people need this even more now. So I think that um, we do this in the best way that we can using what we have. And I believe that our ancestors would be proud of us for taking what we're doing and sharing it over the internet. That's really empowering to hear. Thank you, Cheryl. You're listening to a special edition of Minnesota Native News COVID-19 Community Conversations, supported by a grant from the Minnesota Department of Health. I'm Leah Lem. With me is Cheryl Whitehawk, and today we're exploring how traditional health is thriving, adapting, and helping during the pandemic. Now we're going to add another voice to the conversation. 
Our reporter, Melissa Townsend, talked with Dennis Jones. Dennis is a retired professor from the Department of Indian Studies at the University of Minnesota, and he now works at the American Indian Family Center. He has a gift for traditional healing, and he performs traditional ceremonies. He works with Anishinaabe communities across Turtle Island. So for the radio, do you just want to introduce yourself any way you'd like? I sure will. My Ojibwe name is Peibamibinis, and my clan is Bishu, that's the lynx. And my home community is Nigigosiminikaning, First Nation up in Ontario. And I live with my wife here in Minneapolis. Great. Uh, health officials are noting that people can feel more stress, more fear, more anxiety during this time. Are you seeing that with the people that you, you meet through your work and the people you know in your life? I am. Yep. I also have solutions for it. Well, let's talk about that. <laughs> yeah. What I do is I encourage people to think with a cultural lens, to see what's going on with a cultural lens. First of all, the, uh, the uh, COVID-19 virus has caused all of us to, uh, to quarantine. Now, think, and I tell people, think of that as a fast, because every spring, every fall, what we do is we go on a fast for four days without food or water and do some internal reflection. So use this time for internal reflection to take a look at yourself and evaluate your life. So quarantine is equivalent to a fast. And all of my research, which I base on uh, prayers, meditation, and reading books, and just listening to the universe, tells me that the world is experiencing a spiritual worldwide awakening. And I went, wow, that is amazing. And anybody that's in recovery knows that uh, everything has to get bad first before it can get better. So the darkness before the dawn has to occur. And that's where we are right now. 85% of the world, in terms of my research, tells me that uh, we all live in fear. And the pandemic is really causing us to look at our fear. What do we fear? To give a metaphor, whose neck are you putting your knee on or whose knee is on your neck? Using the situation that's going on as a metaphor to examine yourself. You know, it strikes me, the Minnesota Department of Health is saying, you know, people will feel worse fear. And of course, that makes sense. And one of the things I think I'm hearing you saying is, look at that fear. It's okay to look at that fear. Yes. Fear is a natural process in all of this. Fear is actually the catalyst because the opposite of fear is love. And people don't, uh, won't, don't know this, but fear and love is the same energy. Once you get over your fear, you feel love. When you don't have love, then you have fear. So it's the same thing. We all have a personal choice as to which one to cultivate in our mind. When we cultivate fear, then for sure we're going to feel closed in. But when we uh, cultivate love, we go out there and we start cleaning up all of the mess that's been made. When I am out and about on my bike, lots of people are greeting each other. Lots of people are out on their lawns. Lots of people are out there feeling love for each other. That is the antidote to fear. Yeah. Yeah. It's a personal choice. It's what we choose to do. Yeah. I am a white person, mm -hmm. and so I'm often, you know, thinking as an outsider about uh, the history of tribal and native communities in our state, 
in this time of COVID-19 where there's fear, but also the opportunity for rebirth. Right. How does the history play into that? Or how should we think about the past? Yeah. So as Native people, you know, we are a nation that's grieving because we had our language taken from us, our culture taken from us, and finally our land taken from us. You know, we were we were put to sleep and then there will come a time when we are, are we are awakened. And uh, there were seven prophecies that were presented. In the seventh prophecy, there will be a new people emerging. And these young people that are out protesting, you know, are the new people. And they will, they will be the catalyst to get this uh, awakening happened. Now, the eighth and final fire is, uh, is also not happened yet. It's, it's the brotherhood and the sisterhood of all of humanity here on Turtle Island. When we look at each other as brothers and sisters, that's what's going to heal us. So now the, the Ojibwe people were put to sleep, and now they are slowly waking up. And I was just talking the other day that the Baha'i faith also has the same prophecy. I was talking to somebody that was Baha'i, and they said the indigenous people of the planet are the ones that are going to lead the way and help us. When you see a tree, and before you cut down a tree, you got to think of it in terms of, uh, of the relationship that you have. Even the terminology like Father Sky, Mother Earth, when you look at the Earth as family, family members, then you think twice about clear-cutting and polluting and all of that. So I think Indigenous people have a solution to all of the crises that, uh, that we created. How is it people begin to trust each other again, or for the first time? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can't trust anybody if you don't trust yourself. So the key, first of all, is to trust your inner self, trust your feelings, trust your thoughts. What our medicine men say is honor your thoughts and then cultivate your relationship with the creator. And once you cultivate your relationship with the creator, then you'll see people in a different light. There's a divine dichotomy in the universe. Whenever you see a negative, there's also a positive. And what's being shown to you is the choice. You know, you can choose the positive or you can choose the negative. And you ask yourself when you're, when you're working on trust, what feels lighter? You know, when you trust your fellow human being, even if you see somebody as your fellow human being, it's all about the way that you're looking at another person. If you see them as your enemy, then you're not going to feel any trust. But if you see them as your brother, then you're going to develop some trust. So you have a choice. So you ask yourself, which one feels lighter? Yeah, choosing what you cultivate. Your mind grows on what you feed it. Mm, interesting. I mean, we know that there are families, many families of all backgrounds and cultures that have dysfunction and that have toxicity. And in this time of isolation where we're at home and, and not being able to go out and get outside resource, people can be really trapped in that in a way. What's your perspective on on how to handle that? First of all, you have to admit to yourself that you're part of the problem. You have to admit that you created the dysfunction. Whenever you blame somebody else, you can't change that. You know, you can't change uh, anything that's outside of you. The real change occurs on the inside. So when families are, are uh, fighting with each other, 
when there's dysfunction in the family, then you got to heal the family first. And the, the best way to do that is just be an example, being be example of the healing that needs to occur. You know, Al-Anon has a great uh, example of that. To disconnect with love, you get, again, you got a choice to help heal the dysfunction that, that's occurring, all of it. And then take charge with it. Like, tell yourself, I am the one that created this. I am part of this. That's where the solution is. When people can believe in themselves and know that is it is them that created it, because at a molecular level, that is where it all begins. We are both the problem and the solution. Do you feel like people need outside resource for that? I think people need to uh, go inwards. Everybody is inherently born with knowledge. Everybody inherently knows who they are. Where by virtue of their birth, they are ordained to do the spiritual work. Everybody has the capability to do it. They just need to lift the veil. So this awakening is all about lifting the veil and lifting the cloud that covers us and the separation of everything. Like I tell people, happiness is an inside job. Well-being is an inside job. You got to learn how to do the inside job. I feel like the people I've talked to who've been able to make incredible changes in their lives have had people come into their lives to help them do that. But it sounds like you're saying don't count on that. Is that right? No, 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 no. When you when you look at yourself, when you look at yourself and you look and you count on yourself, then you can allow other people in. Ah. Then when when you are working with yourself, then when this like like the old adage, when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. Yeah. Like all the people that are going to help you with your life all of a sudden will appear. You attract them. So when you work on yourself and you want to be well and you want to be healthy, that's who you attract. So your teacher, you can attract your teacher. You can attract your, your the right spouse. You can attract the right friend. You can attract the people that, that will help you on your journey. So, so you got to get right with yourself first, and then you surround yourself with people that are like-minded, that are equally pursuing health and happiness. Yeah. So you attract the people that are on your journey. You can journey together with them. You have a very positive take on how this is an opportunity. Sounds like is that right? True. Yeah. Because I uh, I look at it and say, wow, it's upon us. The spiritual awakening worldwide is upon us. And uh, I kind of doubted that I was going to live to see it, but I, I'm, I'm living and I'm seeing it. <laughs> that, that, uh, to me, that's the solution. You know, you can see the negative in something or you can see the positive in something. Which one's going to grow? That's the one you feed is the one that's going to grow. Yeah. That was reporter Melissa Townsend speaking with Dennis Jones. What an incredible conversation. Dennis has such a wealth of knowledge, and it's wonderful how he acknowledges the inherent knowledge in us all. So, Cheryl, um, in just a couple minutes we have left, uh, do you have a reflection on Melissa's conversation with Dennis? I find Dennis, or Paybaum, as most of us call him, to be a man of wisdom. 
he brings such a message of hope and that love is the answer to everything at a time at times like this that we're in right now we really need to hear that and he's helping all of us staff and clients alike to find real solutions to how we get through this in the healthy ways that our ancestors knew so we're really blessed to have him wonderful well, Chimigwech, Cheryl, for chatting with me today. Chimigwech. Yeah, I really appreciate your words. Thank you so much. Thank you guys so much. I felt honored to be asked. Sometimes it's really, really difficult, especially for me, to choose to put out love and appreciation when things seem so worrisome. And thinking about what Dennis said about the one you feed is the one that's going to grow in reference to thoughts, how can we support those who need our good thoughts? Thank you, Miigwech, and I wish you health. I'm Leah Lem. Minnesota Native News Special Edition COVID-19 Community Conversations is supported by the Minnesota Department of Health.